0: Good morning everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us on a screen or right here in the sanctuary, so glad you carved out a little bit of your Super Bowl Sunday to be here with us. Hope you've got great plans tonight to hang out, to eat some hang out with friends and eat some not so good food for you, as it's the tr- tradition of what this has become a national holiday. Um, one of the things that I always think about on Super Bowl Sunday, a couple years ago, there was a clip from Jeopardy shared, where the contestants had a category all on football. They left this category to the very end, and the Jeopardy contestants whiffed entirely, zero of five on football questions. They didn't know what a um, it was a what is a the safety catch one. Um, and as Alex Truback keeps giving them the questions, by the time they get to the last one, he goes. You know what, let's just look at the last question just for the heck of it, let's see what happens. And the last question was something actually about the Vikings uh, when they were the purple people eaters uh, era. So if you're looking for a good laugh, just YouTube Jeopardy football and it is delightful. Apparently, you don't study football when you're studying for Jeopardy. Um, Well, we are in the middle of a series um, asking, what what does the world need from us? What does the world need from us, the church? As followers of Jesus, as these people who seek to love God and to love our neighbors, what does the world need from us now? In a time of people feeling lonely, in a time of people feeling isolated from each other, in a highly polarized time that we live in so far apart from each other, how can we help? How can we, as the church, extend the love of God to help people feel less lonely less isolated, and at the very least, understanding of each other, even if we don't agree on this or that. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, not just receivers of peaceful feelings and good times, but to actively work to make peace a reality in our corner of the world. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The world needs us, friends, to be a community centered in and with Jesus, a place where it's okay to ask anything, to listen well, to freely disagree, and to love regardless. Ask anything. God meets us in our questions. God meets us in our doubts, our wonderings, and we grow deeper. We grow more mature faith in Jesus as we ask questions. So ask anything. Listen well. Grow with the capacity to listen to the person sitting in front of you. Resist the temptation to listen to somebody, to respond, to figure out your rebuttal, your argument. Instead, listen to hear. Listen fully to the person in front of you. Listen to how you can love them better. And love regardless, to truly love others in the way of Jesus, it is going to cost us something. It's not, love in the way of Jesus is not sentimentality. It's not just a Hallmark card. It requires of our time, our talent, our dollars, put our hands and feet into tangible action. If we really say we're going to love other people near or far, then we've got to actually live it out. We have got to act. Today, We're gonna look at this notion, this practice of freely disagreeing. My time as a campus pastor, I had memorable chats with college students My office was literally in the center of the campus center. They had to walk by my office to get to lunch. That was probably a strategic part on the administration's deal. But I would have drop-ins all the time. And one day, Alan dropped into my office and sat on the couch, and he wanted to discuss uh, favorite Bible translations. So you know that your Bible is actually mostly originally written in Hebrew and Greek, So the Bible you've got, whether in paper or on your favorite device, is translated from the originals or the copies of originals or the pieces of those Hebrew and Greek documents. So we chatted about our favorites. I said, I like the New Living Translation. It's a modern, more modern language, but it still kind of feels like scripture. Like it doesn't feel like a self-help kind of thing. It still feels like when you read it, it feels like something that carries weight. He replied, Alan replied, that the only and authorized version people should ever use is the King James Version. That's it, from 1611. Not the new King James Version, the original King James Version from 400 years ago. He was arguing so fervently, so passionately for this perspective, I had to switch into listening mode. It's like he was saying if, uh, that this is the Bible Jesus would have used, is the King James Version, and that's it. It's like, okay, well, that's a position to take, I guess. There are so many different translations in the world today and all have their differences and choices of English translations and all the other languages we speak today on the planet. I told him, you know, Alan, it's no doubt, there is no doubt the King James Version has had a profound impact in the world. Most people, whether you're Christian or not, you recognize Psalm 23 from this translation. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So many people recognize that passage from that translation. God does and absolutely meets people in this translation of the word. However, when you read and you hear that passage you probably recognize we don't talk like this anymore. When's the last time you make it somebody get up in the morning? When did you last prepare us the meal for your family or your friends? That language is incredibly foreign to somebody coming to the Bible or to the church for the very first time. It feels Shakespearean. It should. It, this translation comes from the time of William Shakespeare. Language changes over time, so it's not a surprise our Bible translations also change with it. You know, we as adults feel this whenever we hear teenagers talk. When I hear my daughter talking to her friends and she says something like, I'm vibing with that fit, Slay, what was that? I understand the words that might as well be a Charlie Brown speaking or an alien language. Is she murdering? Is she slaying somebody over their Honda Fit car that she likes? Or does she like it? Is there dancing involved with vibing? I have absolutely no... I understand the words coming out of your mouth. I have no idea what they mean. Language, friends, it changes with time, how we use it. It changes with generations. So it's no surprise that our Bible translations adjust as well. Now, not only that... It's a little counterintuitive because we're 400 years separated from this King James Version. We know more about the Bible. We know more about Hebrew and Greek than we did back in the 1600s. We know more than we did when this translation was made. Now, for example, one passage in the King James says this, God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Now, wait a minute, did I miss this? Are there unicorns in the biblical era? Because there are eight or nine times this is in there. I'm like, that's incredible. I thought unicorns were mythical creatures. How have I not seen this before? Well, it's because, no, unfortunately, there are not unicorns in the biblical eras. When the King James was translated, we didn't know what this Hebrew word meant. We had no idea, and so that was their best guess. Now, through archaeology and various discoveries, we've got a better idea of what they probably meant. And now, it trans- we translate it like this. God brought them out of Egypt. For them, he is as strong as a wild ox. Okay, wild ox is a lot less cool than unicorn, uh, but it's more accurate. It's accurate to what it probably was in that era. So I told Alan as he was sitting in my office, I said, Alan, there are two things that are true. The King James Version was and is still used by God to transform lives. People meet God, meet Jesus in the word. And it is also true our modern translations are much more accurate. They're much more complete than the King James was and could ever have been when it was put together. Now, I didn't convince him. He stayed, he listened, but we, and he stayed involved in campus ministry. He uh, he disagreed and he stayed connected. He didn't feel the need to disconnect. We were a community centered in and with Jesus where people felt free to disagree. He even traveled with us on mission to Peru one year. I told him not to say bomb as we went through TSA security, and what does Alan do? He says bomb as we go through TSA security. I'm like, dude, do you wanna see the inside of airport security today? And, and the cherry on top of all this is that Alan is now a police detective, which I, <laughs> I just think life, life can be so unpredictable and so fun. Friends, the world needs from us a community centered and grounded in Jesus with the ability to freely disagree. We Christians have been arguing and debating and dividing over major and minor issues for a long time. There are more than 45,000 denominations covering 2 billion Christians on the planet. Some divided over minor issues, some more major. Some divided over the method and the way we do communion or baptizing only infants and adults. Others divided here in the U.S. over slavery. And still others were created out of historical events that they had no control over. That is how we, as American Methodists, came to be. Anglican priests, priests from England, couldn't get here to give us communion because of the Revolutionary War. And so American Methodists, the denomination, was born purely as a function to get communion to Methodists here in the United States. Division, Arguments, disagreements, they are not new or unique to our era of church history. I love Jesus' prayer and his hope for us in the book of John. Did you know that Jesus prays for you from in scripture uh, from 2,000 years ago? John records the prayer like this. Jesus says, I'm not praying only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. I pray that they all will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me prayer for us to be one together a perfect unity so the world would actually see this testimony as these Christians are unified together god sent jesus and god loves the church just as much as god loves jesus now i don't know if jesus idea of unity is 45,000 different denominations probably not finding the right balance of unity around jesus and uniformity around critical and unchangeable christian beliefs that's tough While we're able to freely disagree with each other, we're supposed to still remain in relationship and to love each other just like Alan and I who disagreed. Let's take a look at how the early church dealt with one of their first disagreements. Yes, even at the very beginning of the faith, there were still disagreements and arguments and heated debates because we are all human after all. You want to follow along? We're going to be in Acts 15 together. It's in the back third of your Bible. You can follow along on your favorite device or on the screen with me. King James is just fine, too. Now, at this point, at this point in the story, the first 12 disciples, they're now called the apostles, they've been preaching all over the cities in the Mediterranean. They're sharing the good news of Jesus, that he died and rose again for everybody. As this message, as this gospel spreads far and wide, Some say, you got to believe more than just that. You can't just have the faith. You can't just believe Jesus died and rose again. You also have to be circumcised. You also have to follow all the law of Moses. You've actually got the law of Moses in one of the early books in your Bible. It's things like which animals are okay to eat, which food is okay to eat, what kind of clothes to wear, and others. Now, there was heated debate Paul, the the missionary, said that's absolutely ridiculous to make non-Jews. It's ridiculous to make Gentiles follow the law of Moses. It should be just about faith. And he vehemently argued. The church decided they needed to get together to come to some kind of consensus. So they sent delegates to Jerusalem. This is not unlike what we do as Methodists every year in our region. We sent delegates to go, to worship, to pray, and to set priorities for communal mission and spending together. Let's pick this up in Acts 4 of chapter 15. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul, they were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up. And insisted the Gentile, the non Jewish converts, must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Well, just a short little welcome, and then we get right to it. They start hearing testimony of God working miracles and signs among the non Jews, the Gentiles. Peter says the Gentiles, they've received the Holy Spirit, just like the Jewish Christians are. There doesn't seem to be any distinction between the two groups. Peter noted, why would we put this law of Moses' burden on the non-Jews, the Gentiles, when we as Jews couldn't even do it? We couldn't hold up to this entire law either. James notes that, anybody else notice this fulfills what the prophets talked about? The prophets talked about a time when even the non-Jews would come to follow God. So James puts together a solution, or he proposes a solution. James says, okay, let's have everybody follow just a few things from the law of Moses. They've been preached in Jewish synagogues for generations. After a long discussion, debate continues. The story says they finally come to a consensus, and they send a letter to the non-Jewish, the Gentile Christians. If you want to follow along, jump down to verse 28 in that same chapter. The church decided, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden On you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. They decided to follow Jesus, to believe the gospel that he died and rose again. It is primarily an act of faith. We are made right in God's sight by following Jesus and believing Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. Then, with the Holy Spirit active in our lives, we seek to live lives that are set apart, that are different. The Bible calls this holiness. We serve as a beacon, a lighthouse, driving people towards the love, light, and life in Jesus that we have found. The simplified law of Moses is what they decide all Christians, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, all Christians should follow. So how did they get to this place? How did they get to where they, where they were freely disagreeing and got to a place of consensus? Well, they came to it because it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to them. They stayed in community together to come up with a solution that everyone agreed upon. They didn't run off to start their own thing. There it was no other group of Christians they could run to. This was it. This was the church. So they stayed together in community, with prayer and the Holy Spirit to come up with a plan moving forward. They practice something that can be hard to put into practice today. Just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I reject you. Just because I think this way and you think that way does not mean I reject you and I hate you. It means I see things differently, but it doesn't mean you are not the child of God made in the image of God that you absolutely are. Just because we freely disagree does not mean we reject the person in front of us. Quite the opposite. They wrestled through a hard conversation together. They freely disagreed. Right at the top of the story, right after welcomes get out of the way, they disagreed. It is okay to disagree. It is okay to freely disagree. It is okay to disagree with something we as pastors might say on a Sunday morning. It's a sign of maturity of faith. It's a sign of critical thinking to say, if I say something, and you wonder if you agree or not. Go study. Go learn. Go explore. That is a wonderful way to grow closer to Jesus. We also see the early church was open to listening to each other and listening to others who don't see the world the same way or as we might say in the 21st century, they were trying to see through some other sets of lenses. They were trying to walk in somebody else's shoes. They were trying to see what it looks like from the other perspective. They were willing, this group of Jewish Christians, to try to see from the perspective of non-Jews, who the Holy Spirit was clearly working through and with. They listened well. That was last week's practice. They listened well. They were open to hear and to simplify the law of Moses. To a few critical practices for all Christians that have been taught in Jewish synagogues for generations. So, as we seek to be the people the world needs, as we seek to be the people who freely disagree in Jesus in community together, I'd sum up what we need to do in two words Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay in community with your curiosity and your questions. Even if you have your mind absolutely made up about this subject or about that subject, stay curious about it anyway. I've always thought the idea of an open mind is not that you don't decide things. Of course, you decide things. You have definitive opinions and beliefs. But in an open mind, there's always that room to review why. To check, to be sure that you don't hold a passionate belief in error. Now imagine yourself wearing a lab coat, like a scientist, you put on a coat and in that mode you stay curious, you stay non-emotional, you have a neutral posture in forensics mode as you try to listen, as you learn about other people and how to show the love of Jesus to them better. That's the kind of attitude that I think cultivates in an open mind. So to stay curious, learn. Learn. There's a great story in another part of the book of Acts where a group of folks experience a message from a missionary and then they go back to the scripture of their day and they check it to see if what the preacher said was right. I love that. That is fantastic. That is a great sign. Stay curious to whatever you're passionate about by reading, by listening to podcasts, audiobooks, folks who are experts on the topic that you want to understand more fully. Lifelong learning is absolutely necessary for mature Christians. To stay curious, listen. Listen well to the stories of others whose life experiences could not be more different than yours. Listen to those who agree with you, listen to those who don't agree with you. Listening to opposing viewpoints helps us to sharpen our views, shows the weaknesses of whatever our particular perspective is, and might even show us what we need to adjust, what we need to tweak. When we believe and practice. And to stay curious, wrestle. Wrestle. That's what we saw in the early church. They wrestled, they had long conversations and debates. There were times of prayer and Holy Spirit movement. We are so trained for quick fixes. We are so trained for the conflict to go away immediately, like sitcoms where the problem is solved in 22 minutes without commercial breaks. Sometimes it takes a long time to wrestle. Sometimes it takes generations to discern what the best next step is with the Holy Spirit. There are not, friends, there are not always quick 22-minute solutions to the problems we face in our lives or in the world or as people in the church. To stay curious as well, apply. Apply what you've learned by listening and wrestling with others in the Spirit. The early church applied what they learned when they finally came to consensus and sent a letter once they had a clear and unified direction on what's next. Apply what you've learned in your life. We all have family that we don't see eye to eye with. We've all got in-laws we disagree with. We've all got people at work that we disagree with that not only rub us the wrong way, but that we just don't see eye to eye on with anything. So, still stay curious in those situations. Stay in community with them when it is healthy to do so. And take the attitude of a scientist. Put on the lab coat so you can look at it from a neutral perspective, no emotions, so you can learn what makes the other person tick, so you can ultimately love them better. Remember, we freely disagree, but it doesn't matter regardless of anything. We are still supposed to love. We're still supposed to love regardless. So we work to create a community. We work to create a church centered in and around and with Jesus where people can disagree freely and still live in the unity Jesus provides. May we all stay curious, listening, learning, wrestling, and applying together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may we find our meaning. May we find our purpose. May we find our hope, our life in you. We recognize that not everyone in the room today, not everyone present, not everyone living, viewing us on a screen. We are not a monolith. We do not see everything the same. We have different passions and beliefs, but we do all desire. We all desire to be found in you, to be shaped by you. So as we move into a new week together, may your Holy Spirit help us to see the people, the people you love, behind the various disagreements and conversations and arguments that will fill our week. May we freely disagree so we can love regardless. It is in your resurrected Savior's name that we pray together. Amen.